This is episode 29 of Ripe Good Scholar, The Norse Origins of Hamlet. I had to flip back and be like, is he still talking? And yes, yes, he was. To be fair, her son did just murder a man right in front of her. Would you interrupt? No, but like <laughs> Hamlet, like how do you that? This is Ryan North, the author of To Be or Not To Be, That Is The Adventure, and you're listening to Ripe Good Scholar. Welcome to Ripe Good Scholar with Sarah Plaskett. Sarah believes that in order to fully understand the relevance of Shakespeare's works in the 21st century, you must examine the history those plays have travelled through since Shakespeare wrote them. Ripe Good Scholar is the show that dives into the archives, theatres and museums to explore the historical evolution of Shakespeare's plays. Join us in examining when and why they were written in the first place, as well as how they have been utilised around the world since then, so that you can see for yourself how the plays continue to be as relevant today as they were in the 16th century. And now, here's Sarah. Hello, and welcome to Ripe Good Scholar. The story of Hamlet is one that is well known to almost everyone. It is woven deep within the fabric of our culture. However, the story of Hamlet started long before Shakespeare put ink to the page. The ancient Norse folktale was first written down by Saxo Grammaticus in 1200, and then Francois Belleforest in 1570, before reaching the English stage with Ur Hamlet, a lost play performed in 1589. Finally, Shakespeare took up the tale and immortalized it. For this episode, I read The Norse Hamlet by Soren Filipski. He translated Saxo and Belleforest. If you want to find that and even more resources on Hamlet, head on over to ripegoodscholar.com ep29. Now, let's head to Denmark. Today we're going to be looking at the kind of Norse origins of Hamlet. The oldest story that I looked at was written by Saxo Grammaticus, and it was called The History of the Danes. Oh. Obviously, I read a translation because your girl does not speak Latin or read Latin. Apparently, Saxo wrote this at the request of an archbishop. It was completed between 1201 and 1222. Now, it's called The History of the Danes. However, the first nine books are entirely folklore. Oh, so it's history in the meaning of, that it used to have, which is a bunch of wild-ass stories. Yeah, kind of like how like King Arthur was history. Oh, right, right, right. And Macbeth, for that matter. Ah, uh, yes, the historical story of these witches and curse the guy. Yes. Now, the story of Amleth, as it appears in Saxo, no H, occurs in books three and four of Saxo. So firmly within the folklore range. So wait, wait a minute. It took him two books to tell the story of Amleth. Yes, because there's a there's a lot that happens. Oh, Shakespeare heavily edited this one. Wait, wait. Shakespeare's Hamlet is the short version. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. Now there are parts of it that, according to, I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Soren Filipski. Can I try? The Norse Hamlet. It's pronounced the Norse Hamlet. Yeah, it looks like Soren Filipski. If it's not, then I don't know what letters mean. Fair. 
according to his introduction, the Saxo story may have been based on the Roman story of Junius Brutus, who pretended insanity while devising Tarquin's expulsion from Rome. I know some of those words. It could be loosely based on a Roman story. Because folklore. Because folklore. Now, the best part about Saxo, uh, at least according to the Renaissance people, was that Saxo spoke in very ornate Latin. Oh, yeah, the Renaissancers probably loved that. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, most people do. Listen, it's, it's a recurring theme in English literature that every once in a while people are like, you know what's great? Being incredibly obtuse for no reason. And all the academics are like, oh, yes, that sounds lovely. Not just in Britain, Renaissance in general, because now we have the entrance of Francois de Belleforest. Histoire tragique. L'histoire tragique. Book five of his seven volume collection is the story of Hamlet. H-A-M-B-L-E-T. Oh, Hamlet. Hamlet. Did he write that while chewing on marble? Maybe. I mean, that's... <laughs> generally how the French speak, at least when I speak French. One kind of interesting side note of Histoire Tragique is that it contained a few Bandello stories, which we may remember, Bandello was the origins of Romeo and Juliet. Ah, right. And as we will explore in future episodes, Bandello was a source for several Shakespeare plays. So, Bandello, big player, remember him. And gotcha. here he is again. Hi, Bandello. Hi, Bandello. But I like your name, Bandello. It is fun to say. Bella Forrest, uh, his version is longer than Saxo's. It's longer than two books? Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so uh, there's more detail, more dialogue. He fleshed out more of the dialogue. Saxo just kind of told you what happened. Bella Forrest told you what everybody said. You know, uh, to contextualize this for people less familiar with Hamlet, uh, to publish a book on Shakespeare's play today, you actually have to talk about it and print the text. These guys are these guys are getting multiple books out of just telling the story. Philipski um, said again of um, Belafort's version that it was lengthy, with usually theological digressions. Oh, man. That's also why it was a lot longer. I, I, I think my least favorite part of uh, Renaissance writing is when people take a break from the story to talk at length about uh, their theological interpretation of the story. But I kind of enjoyed that those digressions, the note of those digressions, because it reminded me a little bit of like Hamlet, the character. Oh, that's true. He, d he does take his own theological digressions, doesn't he? He does. Yay, Hamlet. Uh, turns out all of his digressions lead towards life is terrible and then we die. <laughs> yes. The uh, Histoire Tragique was printed in England in 1608 by Richard Braddock. There was an English translation issued by Thomas Pavier, which Thomas Pavier we will want to remember for our future Shakespeare musings because he published the Pavier Quartos of Shakespeare 
kind of the pre-folio collection. Okay, so he made his money printing what other people wrote. Most printers did at the time. That's fair. I mean, most printers do today. Also fair. Anyway, he he didn't own all the plays, but he owned a chunk. Go listen to our episode on the creation of the first folio to learn about playwrights. Finally, our most what most people believe was Shakespeare's most immediate inspiration for Hamlet was an early play called Ur Hamlet. Don't know why it was called Ur Hamlet. The only reason we even know this play existed was because in Philip Henslow's diary on June 9th, 1594, there was a production of Ur Hamlet. Um, it was put on by the Lord Admiral's men and the Lord Chamberlain's men Ooh. at Newington Butts. Yes, Newington Butts. It made eight shillings. It's possible that this Ur Hamlet was an early draft Shakespeare was writing at that time. However, unlikely because it was apparently not a very popular play because it was never performed again. Only made eight shillings. So probably not an early draft of Shakespeare's because the Hamlet we know today was most likely written around 1601. Right. Someday I'm going to look into how they figure out the dates of the plays, but I think, you know... When it was produced, when Cortos started arriving, we start getting an idea of when the play was written. Until then, we trust the experts, as should you. Calm down. Stop being so aggressive. But yes, we trust the experts. Now, just because Shakespeare didn't write it doesn't mean he wasn't familiar with it, because you will remember Shakespeare was a member of Lord Chamberlain's men. I do remember that. There are two other short references to Ur Hamlet. Uh, one by Thomas Nash in To the Gentlemen Students of Both Universities, where he kind of trashes various playwrights who try to imitate the High Latin when they don't know how to read it. Now, he compares Ur Hamlet to Seneca, which Seneca was notoriously bloody. I mean, not that Hamlet's like, you know, super happy fun times in Shakespeare's version, but it's not quite Titus levels. Okay, yeah, so Ur Hamlet is a lot bloodier, probably. Probably. All of this is wild speculation. The only thing we know about Ur Hamlet is that it was produced on June 9th, 1594. Well, I gotta, gotta be honest. These critics sound very catty. Oh, they are. All of them are. Every time you read about people trashing playwrights, it's just great. Yeah. Where you get an upstart crow, little Latin and less Greek. <laughs> it's just great when they start going in on each other. There was also a line in... In that speech, that's referred to the kid imitating the kid in Asa, which some people are like, maybe is a kid pun. So maybe Thomas Kidd wrote Ur Hamlet. Again, wild speculation. And then finally, Thomas Lodge in Wit's Misery and the World's Madness, discovering the devils incarnate of this age. Okay, this sounds like it was written by a Puritan. 1596, maybe. He mentions a ghost appearing in Hamlet, which doesn't happen in Saxo or Belleforest, maybe gives us a hint that our Hamlet is where the ghost popped up. And hmm. that is how we got to the Hamlet we know and love today. Oh, hi, Hamlet. How are you doing today? Now that we've traced the story from Saxo to Shakespeare, yes, I want to look at some key points where we can see the story's evolution. Because there's three key points that are very different from Saxo to Shakespeare, but have this thread that we'll see so you can, knowing that there's th this Ur Hamlet, this missing link, I think we can see where the story evolved from what it was to what it became. 
the first incident is the one that I'm kind of re- I'm referring to as the temptress. So mm. in Saxo, um, Hamlet's uncle is called Feng. F-E-N-G. Okay. I kind of like it better than Claudius because Claudius is clearly not a Danish name. So if I'm referring to Feng, I'm referring to either Saxo or Belleforest. If I'm referring to Claudius, we're talking about the Shakespeare play. Cool. Just, I'll try to make it very clear when I'm talking about one or the other, but just so everybody's aware. Now, just like in Shakespeare, Hamlet feigns madness to conceal his plan. The difference being... He feigns madness. He doesn't fang madness. Fang is his uncle. Continue. I was in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> was that worth it? Yeah. So in Saxo, Hamlet feigns madness to conceal his plans. The key difference being that Fang is suspicious of his madness. So Fang thinks he's feigning. Yes. I mean, (laughs) Fang and his fellow conspirator, who's not named, but is essentially Polonius. He sets up a situation in which Hamlet will be seduced by a woman. And while he's being seduced, his madness will fade away, and they'll reveal that he was faking the whole time. That plan's so crazy, Hamlet would pretend to have it. Exactly. Now, they're they're off trotting in the woods, you know, beautiful temptress, heading her way towards Hamlet, when Hamlet's friend, who also unnamed but is Horatio, finds out about this scheme to reveal Hamlet as a faker. And so he sends him a sign. Oh, to let him know that Fang thinks he's feigning. Yes. <laughs> and to let him know that he's being seduced as a trap. So he's basically, he's Akbar going, it's a trap! It's a trap! Except instead of that fun line, he attaches a piece of grass to a fly butt, and then the fly flies by. And Hamlet goes, clearly I am being set up. Okay, so first of all, that's impressive, right? How does the I fly... don't know. We don't explain it. We don't. I don't know how he controls where the fly goes. I don't know how he attached the straw. I don't know how on earth <laughs> Hamlet figured out that that's what that meant. Maybe he was letting Hamlet know that he was being bugged. <laughs> yes, that we found the origin of the term bugged. Yes, now. Hamlet, he's not about to, like, not have sex. (laughs) Come on now. That's ridiculous. So he just pulls this girl further into the woods where no one can see them and uh, has sex with her there. He finds a convenient bush. (laughs) Yes. After this, she obviously knows he's faking his madness, but he swears her to secrecy. But she agrees to... Because they were childhood friends. I mean, why wouldn't you protect your childhood friend who just dragged you off into the woods while pretending to be crazy to have sex? Now, Bella Forest kind of expounds it into she loved him. Okay, so he wasn't having forest sex. He was making forest love. Yes, depending on which version you read. <laughs> that plan is broken up and Hamlet still gets laid. Woohoo! Score one for Hamlet. Woo! 
yeah, you can see the the kind of similarity with that scene with Ophelia. Especially, I think, because you see that thread of they were childhood friends and she loved him and he loved her and they had this long relationship. You have that same setup. The idea that this woman is going to come in to reveal Hamlet's madness. In Saxo, it's to reveal it to be fake. In Shakespeare, it's because Polonius believes that it's Ophelia's rejection of his love that has driven him insane. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of similarities there. You can see the through line. We have to keep in mind that there's a missing link here. Er Hamlet. If I could travel back in time and like get a copy of Er Hamlet, I'd, I'd be very fascinated to see if that's a step between Saxo, Belleforest, and Shakespeare. Because obviously having a fly with a straw in its butt fly across, particularly an Elizabethan stage, would be a challenge. I don't understand. Could you explain? <laughs> no. If you don't get why that would be difficult, I can't help you. Uh, well, I thought you were teaching me, but okay. <laughs> Lack of special effects. Moving set pieces weren't made until after Shakespeare died. <laughs> the next kind of big event we have is confronting Gertrude, where Hamlet comes into his mother's room and lays out for her all the things she's done wrong and she essentially goes you know what you're right i won't sleep with your uncle anymore <laughs> i mean who hasn't had that conversation with their mother right that's a pretty you know sometimes you just gotta remind your mom to stop sleeping with your uncle that scene is really similar throughout all of them you have hamlet killing the spy now the difference in saxon belleforest is one he has no name He's just someone Fang set in to listen to the conversation. And even Gertrude doesn't know. He's just a guy he sends to spy on his wife in her bedroom. Yes. Well, that had to be a surprise for her in the original Hamlet. Apparently Gertrude had like a pile of straw in her room. Oh, like a straw bed? Was Maybe. The 1200s. Oh, it would have been earlier than the 1200s. It would have been like the, the 800s. Yeah, you just sleep on some straw. So the dude hid in Fang's wife's bed to uh, spy on her. So he's a pervert. But Hamlet suspects, like, mm, there might be a person in that pile of hay. So he just lunges himself at the hay and flails wildly. Remember, everyone thinks he's crazy, so Gertrude's just like, well, Hamlet's just being crazy, because he's crazy. And uh, he finds the dude, and it's just like, stay up. Now, in Belleforest, he does say a rat. Ooh, that is a fun through line, but I, I still, I can't get the picture of my, out of my head of Hamlet just being like, hmm, mom, what's up with your bed? I, I don't know. It keeps snickering? Is that normal? Here, let me, let me, let me, let me sit on it. That's not right. Yeah, except that's not how it happened. Hamlet just kind of like came into his mom's room and didn't really say much and then like flailed wildly on her bed and then pulled a dead dude out of her bed. Oh, so, so you just, sometimes you just gotta, you know, it's like delousing your bed. You just gotta get all the bed guys out of it. <laughs> and so in Saxo, he removes the body before continuing his conversation with his mom. As one does. He's not a barbarian. And then they go into all all the detail of he takes the body, dismembers it, and throws it down the sewer to wash away, where I guess maybe the pigs will eat it. I don't know. I don't okay, know how that's drainage gross. <laughs> that's just why the pig 
I don't. I have questions. So many questions. Because it was questions. like the 800, so I don't know what a super would be. Anyway, he threw it through like a hole, and maybe the pigs were gonna eat it. I don't know. It didn't make sense. I don't know how medieval castles work. I'm an early modern historian. <laughs> So anyway, he goes and takes care of the body. Now, <laughs> what's funny about that to me is then he like comes back to finish talking to his mom, who has sat there the whole time not telling anyone about the dude Hamlet just killed and dragged away. Well, I mean, they were having a conversation. Now in Shakespeare, naturally, Polonius just like lays there dead the whole time. That's, I mean, that's fair. He didn't, they didn't have a convenient pig sewer. <laughs> now Hamlet gets his long-windedness from Belleforce. Because Hamlet's speech to his mother, not a dialogue, not any of her responses, just Hamlet telling her what an awful, awful person she is. Yes. Took four pages of this of the book I was reading. So I don't know how many pages of the other versions, but it was long. I mean, wow. I had to flip back and be like, is he still talking? And yes, yes, he was. To be fair, her son did just murder a man right in front of her. Would you interrupt? but like <laughs> Hamlet like how do you he went into his theological digressions so it wasn't I'm gonna lay out what you did it's I'm gonna talk about the greater implications of what you've done oh too long winded detail oh this is why you gotta put limits on your theological digressions right now like I said Gertrude changes her mind sees the error of her ways and promises to stop blanking his uncle yay now in Shakespeare we have the ghost reappear Ghost never appeared in Saxo or Belleforest, so Ghost didn't, like, suddenly show up. I like to think that after writing Macbeth, Shakespeare was just like, you know what more history plays need? Ghosts. Now, in all three versions, um, Hamlet admits to Gertrude that he is faking being crazy. It's much more explicit in Saxo and Belleforest. In Shakespeare, she hardly seems to catch his drift. So in Belleforest, it says, The face of a madman serveth to cover my gallant countenance, and the gestures of a fool are fit for me to the end, that guiding myself wisely therein, I may preserve my life for the Danes and the memory of my late deceased father. So he just outright says it in Belleforest. In uh. Saxo, it's pretty explicit, but it's just more long-winded, and I don't feel like reading the entire paragraph because it's like half a page. And then in Shakespeare, he kind of hints at it. Like, I think he's just kind of like, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about me being crazy. Now let me take care of this body. I got things to do. Bye. <laughs> this one is a more ex obvious inspiration for Shakespeare. It's pretty much the same in all of them. There's no missing link of the evolution here. It happened here, it happened here, it happened here. We're moving on to Hamlet's pirate adventure. Ooh. Except in Saxon and Belleforce, there are no pirates. Aww. I know. So in Shakespeare, he goes off with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to England with the death warrant. But Hamlet discovers this note, writes up a new one uh, that says, Hey, kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. But boat is besieged by pirates. Hamlet escapes with the pirates, and I don't know, by some means of Hamlet's wiliness, he gets the pirates to bring him back home. Yeah, that's never explained or really elaborated on. He just shows up and says, hey, I had a fun time with pirates. In Saxo and Belleforest, Hamlet makes it to England. 
and they the king reads this note and he's like well i'm not just gonna like kill these guys right here and now that's weird they just got here no i mean that's polite hamlet also wrote in the note that the king should marry his daughter to hamlet who's great okay hamlet and saxo i'm liking a lot more he's like hey you know what's better than getting found out getting my rocks off in the woods Hey, you know what's better than just not dying? Not dying and marrying up. Yes. So the king is like, well, I need to get a feel for what's going on here and this guy. So I'm going to wait. I'm not going to kill these guys right away. So he throws a feast. And the whole night, Hamlet is just a jerk. He won't eat anything. He won't drink anything. He's just being a snooty booty. And the king is like, well, that was super rude and sends someone to go and listen to his conversations he has with his comrades. And so unnamed Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are like, Hamlet, you were super rude at dinner. Why? And so Hamlet, he basically says the bread was dipped in blood. There was a taste of iron in the drink. The meat smelled of corpse. I think meat usually does. Fair. And the king and queen acted as commoners. So the king is like, well, that's super rude, but also like really weird to say. So he looks into it and he basically finds out that the field that the wheat is grown in was a battlefield. Gross. The battle hadn't just happened. He could taste the history of the bread. Yeah. The taste of iron in the drink. I think maybe that was another, like, old battle thing, and there were swords in the water. Now, the meat smelled of corpse because the pigs ate someone. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> pigs keep eating bodies. Pigs keep eating bodies. Medieval times, pigs ate bodies. We know how the Danes rolled. You have a body, Well, this was in England. to the pigs. Then the king basically goes to his mom and is like, why would he say I was a commoner? And she's like, well, actually, I did sleep with a servant, and... You are definitely that guy's son. And it was a similar thing with the queen. So Hamlet ruined this man's life, completely shattered all his illusions. You might be sitting here after hearing all this and going, but how did Hamlet know all this? He just got to England. I was not. I assumed it was fairy tale logic. Well, I, being the more curious person, was like, but how was Hamlet right? How did Hamlet know that both the king and queen were bastard children? How did Hamlet know that the pigs had just eaten corpse? And here's the thing. Belleforest is like, hey, I got you. Let's spend a page and a half musing about divination. Oh, it doesn't answer your question, but it makes you think about divination. No, it doesn't. I'm with Saxo. Fairy tale logic. He tasted corpse. So the king is like, oh. Hamlet, you were right about everything. You're clearly a very wise man. I will agree to all the stipulations in the letter. And does so. I mean, wouldn't you agree to marry your daughter to the person who exposed you as the bastard of some servant? He didn't expose it to, like, the whole kingdom. He exposed it to those two guys that the king killed. So, like, no harm, no foul. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that that's fair. Those are my three big sections. If I was going to draw... A big line and say this is the difference between Amleth and Hamlet. Is that Amleth gets shit done. <laughs> Although I don't know. I'm pretty sure Hamlet. he booped around in England for like a couple years before he was like, eh, maybe I'll go back. I mean, sure, but he probably booped around getting things done. Hamlet dithers about whether about everything. Should he kill his uncle? Should he kill his uncle now? 
How I really feel about Ophelia, I don't know. Better make rude jokes in front of my mother right by her. And then with, with Saxo back here being like, nah, man, a Amleth boinked in the woods. He fed people to pigs. He, 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 didn't, he didn't truck with bloody bread. <laughs> and he married lots of people, sometimes because he invaded their parents' kingdoms. He also took back Hitler. He didn't die in the brothels. No, he was he was much better at this. And I think that those key points really kind of loop us back into the evolution from Saxo to Shakespeare. You ha you can see what was a common thread in all of them, what was kinda there in Saxo, and then like fully fledged out in Shakespeare. And what was fully fledged out in uh, Saxo and completely skipped over in Shakespeare. Because Shakespeare had other things he wanted to talk about. Well, can you imagine how long Hamlet would have been if he included ever, all the whole England adventure? Like, no wonder he was like, he rode back with pirates. Well, wait, how did he ride back? He rode back with pirates. You know, he had to cut all that stuff out. That was a bit much. Let's instead just talk about how much life sucks and how much I wish I was dead. And then his friends could be like, are you okay, Will? Will, are you okay? No, he wasn't. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ripe Good Scholar. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to go to ripegoodscholar.com EP29 for even more information on the origins of Hamlet. The show notes for every episode are filled with additional resources and facts that can help you further explore this topic. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It helps others find our podcast so our community of scholars can grow. Also, make sure you are on our mailing list to receive a free digital download and be kept up to date on everything going on over at Ripe Good Scholar. Follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at RipeGoodScholar to keep the Shakespeare fun going all day, every day. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Ripe Good Scholar. As always, the deepest dives and best discussions are happening after the show at RipeGoodScholar.com. Join us over there to lend your perspective and engage with fellow scholars. We would love to hear from you. That's all for today. And remember, our court shall be a little academe, still and contemplative in living art. <laughs>